John 3, 1 through 10 is the text from which Pastor Piper draws his sermon this morning. Verses 1 through 10 of John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand this? Let's pray. Lord, as we turn our attention now to something very serious this morning, your word from John 3, would you anoint me, please, with your Holy Spirit? And would you touch these people that what happened to Lydia there by the river in Philippi might happen to them? And the Lord opened her heart that she might give heed to the word which was preached. And so may the meditation of my heart and the words of my lips be powerful in this place for your great glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? says the Lord, then you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Can a man in love with his money enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Can the natural man welcome the things of the Spirit of God, they are foolishness to him and he is not able to comprehend them because they are spiritually assessed. Can the human mind as it comes into being and grows according to natural laws please God? The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, neither can it. And those who are in the flesh cannot. Please, God, can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's impossible. Do you feel the shock that must have gone through Nicodemus' mind when Jesus said to him, you must be born again? If he knew his Bible, surely he would have said, we can't change the color of our skin. 
A leopard can't change his spots. A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. A natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit. And an old man can't be born. It is impossible. To which we quickly answer, oh, but not with God, because we know the Bible. Not with God. God can change the color of our skin if He wants. God can change a leopard into a tiger if He wants. God can fit a camel through the eye of a needle. God can turn natural people into spiritual people so that they welcome the things of the Lord. And God can make an old man be born again. Yes. But perhaps we say it too quickly. Perhaps we ought to sit with our shirts torn and dust on our heads for seven days in silence like the friends of Job and let ourselves be stunned by what Jesus is saying here. Stunned that He is saying nobody can be born into the kingdom of heaven by His natural birth. A miracle has to happen. Stunned that we are like shipwrecked sailors on a raft with a makeshift sail made out of a shirt, utterly and absolutely lost. Unless the wind blows. We need to stop and let ourselves feel the plight that Jesus said Nicodemus was in. Nicodemus, you're in a room of a house. It is on fire. All the handles of the doors are higher than you can reach. Come out! Come out! Has it ever struck you as strange that before Nicodemus gets to say one word to Jesus about why he came to see him, Jesus looks him straight in the eye and says, you must be born again. The context is very important to see what's going on here. Back up with me to chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus was at the Passover in Jerusalem. And it says, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. And then drop down to verse 2 of chapter 3 to see the connection. Rabbi, Nicodemus says, we know that you are a leader come from God, for no one can do these signs which you do unless God is with him. In other words, Nicodemus is one of those believers. Nicodemus is one of those people who have seen the signs and believe in Jesus as a wonder worker and see that somehow he is from God. And he wants to talk to him. But then look at verses 24 and 25 of chapter 2 where John sets the stage for Jesus' somewhat less than enthusiastic reception of Nicodemus' affirmation of faith. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them, that is, to those who had believed on him as a sign worker, because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man for he himself knew what was in man. Now, what does that mean? What did Jesus know about these so-called believers? 
What did he see in them that caused him to hold back and not give himself to them? The answer is verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3. And Nicodemus is the test case. What did Jesus know about this Nicodemus who said, you're from God. I've seen your signs. He knew that he was not born again. And so the reason Jesus doesn't need to wait for Nicodemus to ask any questions is, as verse 25 says, he knew what was in man. So what we learn in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 10, is Jesus' view of what is in man, apart from new birth. And it isn't flattering. Let's talk about these two things. The condition that Jesus sees Nicodemus and the whole world to be in, and the remedy for that plight. The key verse is going to be verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Let me try to paraphrase that tremendously important little verse. When you are conceived and born by your earthly parents... You share a human nature with them. And when you are conceived and born by the divine spirit, you share a divine nature with him. Your first birth makes you alive to human life and your second birth makes you alive to spiritual life. Our first birth knits our hearts together in affection for our human father and our second birth knits our hearts together in affection for our heavenly father. Our first birth gives us an appetite for warm milk and cool reputation and hot sex. And our second birth gives us an appetite for God. Our first birth imparts a natural impulse to save our lives. And our second birth gives us an appetite or a supernatural impulse to lose our lives for Christ and the gospel. Let's ponder for a moment what Jesus' view of people is who haven't yet experienced new birth. There are four things in this passage that Jesus says about such people. First, they are flesh. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That means that people by nature are simply human, utterly devoid of the Holy Spirit. Or as Jude 19 puts it, it is these who set up divisions, natural people devoid of the Holy Spirit. Flesh, according to John chapter 3 verse 6, 
refers to human nature out of touch with God. Just what you get when God is not in touch with you. And Paul says of that human nature in Romans 7.18, I know that no good thing dwells in me that is in my flesh. No good thing in people apart from new birth. When human nature with all of its desires and longings and cravings and needs is cut off from the all-satisfying Christ, utter corruption results and total depravity. Jesus has an extraordinarily low view of human nature apart from new birth. Note well, he does not speak of any group in humanity. He speaks generally. That which is born of the flesh, that's everybody, is just flesh. No good thing dwells in them. Their byways in their hearts are simply a great subterranean sewer system dumping sewage into the Mississippi River. Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and that makes a man filthy. See what he's saying? Nothing that surrounds you makes you dirty. You make you filthy. That's all. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. Apart from being born again by the Holy Spirit, human nature, no matter where you find it, is totally depraved. There is no moral good in it. Oh, yes. They can write symphonies. They can putz around in space with computerized jetpacks. And before God, it is worth zero. A moral zero. What the human brain, apart from reliance upon the power of God, produces is only idols, no matter how delicately carved they are. And they are abhorrent to God. Wherever man does not humbly rely upon God for power, he produces sin. Believing what Jesus believes about human nature, we ought not to be amazed that there is corruption in Minneapolis. We ought to be amazed that Minneapolis is anything more than a giant waste disposal site for the toxic emissions of human nature. It's God's pure, sovereign grace. Theologians call it common grace that keeps the lid on the volcano of evil in your heart and my heart and the heart of unbelievers. That's all. Grace upon grace is the reason there is not mass anarchy and horrid corruption Worse than there is. So the first thing Jesus has to say about people who are born the first time 
is that they are just flesh apart from the new birth, devoid of the Holy Spirit, totally depraved. Here's the second thing he says. All people in the world, apart from the new birth, are dead. Birth gives life. And our first birth gave us physical life, mental life. We eat, we desire, we breathe, we think. But when Jesus says, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, he means, if it hasn't happened yet, there's lifelessness. Deadness. Birth brings forth life, and if the new birth hasn't happened, there is no life but the flesh. Humanity is a dead species. Humanity is simply a dead species, apart from the quickening or resurrecting or regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 4.24 to the disciples, they have passed from death to life which simply means that everybody except disciples are dead. Or here's the way he put it in Luke 9.60. He said, a man came after him and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. First let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Everybody's dead except those who follow Jesus. Dead. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 2, Jews and Gentiles are all dead unless God has raised them through the Lord Jesus Christ by grace. Things weren't always that way in the world, folks, were they? God did not create walking dead people. It says in Genesis 2, 7, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. And he walked in fellowship with God. He was full of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit knitted him together with the Father and the Father put him in a garden, gave him every conceivable benefit and simply said, there's a tree called the knowledge of good and evil which is symbolic for Asserting yourself and being self-reliant so that you prove what's good for yourself and what's evil for yourself without consulting me. If you eat of that, you're in rebellion. I will depart from you. And he ate. And people have been eating that fruit of rebellion ever since. And everybody is dead. And after the fall, praise God, he's been moving through the world with a life-giving, quickening spirit like a wind that blows where it will. And here He brings life. And here He brings life and raises the dead out of spiritual deadness. If that doesn't happen, Jesus says, nobody enters the kingdom. And that's the third thing that Jesus says about these people who haven't been born again. They will not enter the kingdom of God. They will not have eternal life. They will not escape the wrath of God. 
These must have been terrifying words to Nicodemus. Picture yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. He's been in Jerusalem watching Jesus. Jesus has been doing miracles. He sees an incomparably powerful man doing these mighty works. He sees an incomparably loving man helping the poor and the needy and the sick. And he is drawn to this Jesus. This man is somehow from God. I want to talk to this man. And he goes to him by night and he says, Jesus, I perceive that you do signs. Surely you're from God. And before he can take another breath, Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Nicodemus, people who aren't born again go to hell. The fourth thing that he says about people emerges from the fact that he's speaking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee. There weren't any more religious people than the Pharisees. The fourth thing is this. There is a world of difference between religion and new life in Christ or in the Spirit. A world of difference between coming to this church and living in the Spirit. You can be an usher, you can be a trustee, you can be a deacon, you can be a professor in a seminary, and you can be a pastor and not be born again. Do you believe that? The religious crowds in Jerusalem believed on Jesus as a sign worker. But he wouldn't give himself to them because he knew what was in them and what was in them was unregenerateness. They weren't born again no matter how religious they were. Let me sum it up now. Four things Jesus says about people who haven't been born again. One, they are merely flesh devoid of the Holy Spirit and in them dwells no good Thing. Second, they are dead, utterly unreceptive to God. Third, they are cut off and shut out from the kingdom of God and eternal life. And fourth, they use religion as a cloak to assure themselves that all's well, all's well. All's well. Now what? Somebody should stand up and say to the preacher or to Jesus, why do you say this to us? What do you expect to accomplish by telling us such things? If I'm just flesh, if I'm devoid of the Holy Spirit, if there is no moral good in me, if I am dead in trespasses and sin and a stone towards God, if I use religion to deceive myself, if I am so damned depraved, what do you expect from me? Here's the answer. The answer is, I expect desperation. That's all. I expect a sense of helplessness before God. That is all. 
If we are in a room and the house is on fire and the handles are too high for us to reach and Jesus says, come out! All I expect is, I can't! Help me! That's all. Why else in verse 8 does Jesus say, the Spirit... The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So is everyone who is born by the Spirit. The wind is free. The wind obeys no human laws. The wind goes where it pleases. When it blows... The sailors rejoice. And when it doesn't blow, they are desperate. Surely verse 8 was spoken by Jesus to make us know that we are utterly and absolutely at the mercy of the free and sovereign Spirit of God. What other point could that verse have? When He blows, we are glad. And when He doesn't, we are undone. A sense of utter helplessness and desperation. Is it any accident that the last thing we hear Nicodemus say in this passage is a bewildered... How can it be? How can these things be? It's it and he's done. He doesn't say another word. You see, the new birth is not something you do. It is a sovereign, free, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Brooding like a creator dove over your heart and bringing it to life and opening the eyes of your heart and giving you a relish for God and causing you to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You don't any more initiate your new birth than Lazarus initiated his resurrection. One thing caused Lazarus to rise from the dead. Come forth! That's all. The Word of Jesus, the mighty Creator, begets life in the dead. Therefore, Peter says to Christians, you have been born again through the living and abiding Word of God, the Gospel which was preached to you. Ever since that horrid fall into sin and the worldwide death that fell out from it, God has been moving with a two-fold weapon, a healing weapon, to save men. The proclamation of His Word and the power of His Spirit in one. If you are alive in Christ this morning, you have been born by the power of His Spirit and by the proclamation of His Word. Paul put it like this, Our Gospel came to you not only in Word, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit. 
And he says again, my word, my proclamation were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. Sometimes, to my great misery, the gospel misfires in the mouth of a weak and worldly preacher. But when the Holy Spirit is upon the message of Jesus Christ, there is an explosion of life. The Word and the Spirit quicken and raise from the dead hearts long enslaved and comatose to Christ. The Gospel is preached God the Creator Spirit says as He did on that first day, let there be life. And there is life. And from that day forward, we give Him the glory. All the glory. The eyes of the heart are opened. A child is born. And the cries of bewilderment and desperation give way to the cooing and suckling at the breast of the Spirit. Let me close with three applications of this teaching from our Lord Jesus. First, you wouldn't be here unless there was a religious streak in you. And I want to admonish you as a religious person to examine yourself right now to see whether you are born again. Because there's no guarantee that you are just because you're here. Even if you've been here for 30 years. There are tests given in the New Testament by which you can examine yourself. Let me mention five very briefly. First, Romans 8, 7. The mind of the flesh does not submit to God's law. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit if the spirit dwells in you. Test. Do you have a submissiveness in your heart to the law of God? Or is there rebelliousness in your heart against what He commands? Second, 1 Corinthians 12.3 No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Test. Is Jesus your Lord? Do you submit to the will of Jesus Christ every day in all that you do? Do you look away from yourself to Him and in all the affairs of your life say, Not my will, but Thine be done. You are my Master. Number three, Romans 8.15 You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Test. Do you have a spirit of slavery living in fear before God? Or has the spirit of sonship come in and put you at peace with God so that you rest in the lap of your Heavenly Father enjoying the forgiveness of sins? Test number four. 1 Corinthians 2.14 the natural man does not welcome the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Test. Do the things of the Spirit turn you off? 
or do they turn you on? Number five, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and he who loves has been born of God. Test, do you love people? Is there a deep sense of goodwill towards your enemies and your brothers in your heart? Or are you this very morning plotting revenge? Those are the tests. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the spirit or if you've been deceiving yourselves. And the second application I want to make is this. We ought to deeply humble ourselves in view of Jesus' teaching. How lowly and meek and contrite and broken we ought to be when we realize how utterly desperate and helpless we were until the sovereign Holy Spirit touched us with His life-quickening power. And that dependence goes on the rest of your life. You are absolutely dependent on the sovereign Holy Spirit for every moment of breath that you take and spiritual life that you have. And oh, how lowly and contrite we ought to be as a people in view of that great truth. What a difference it would make in our fellowship if before every meeting, every worship meeting, every board meeting, every Bible study, every Sunday school class, we came together and said to ourselves, except for the sovereign mercy of the Spirit, I'm a dead man. And finally, I close with this third application. The Holy Spirit is calling us at Bethlehem To make disciples of all nations. He is raising up dozens of laborers to send out into his harvest. Praise God for what he's doing among us. But do you know what those people are being called to do? Me and you included? Raise the dead! Who can raise the dead? The Spirit of God can raise the dead. Now do you see what that means we have to do? We have to have the Holy Spirit in power upon us. He has to come down upon us. Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you and then you will be my witnesses. Oh, how we need power. When you witness to somebody, do you realize that if anything is to happen, resurrection must happen? And how far out of your reach that is. And out of the reach of that person. If God the Holy Spirit doesn't abide upon you, you will be so weak and ineffective. Are you pursuing the Spirit? Do you plead for His fullness? Do you go hard after the Spirit that you might be worth something?